Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of Coding Fix. My name is Alex, and I'll be your host today, and also the rest of the days, but today too. Uh, if you are brand new to the show, welcome. I'm definitely very happy to have you here. I hope that you'll enjoy this episode, and recommend checking out the whole first series here, which is all about trying to help out new developers or folks looking to get back into it. If you are a returning listener, hey, it's great to have you back. I've been appreciating all of the feedback that people have been sending. So if you're someone who sent an email or tweet or whatever other kind of message, just a big thank you to you. And if you're someone who would like to send an email, you can reach out to me anytime over at coding at fix.space. That's F-Y-X dot space. Or uh, reaching out over Twitter at fixpodcasts, F-Y-X podcasts. Also, if you're interested in hearing about gaming, we just did our annual Game of the Year podcast over at Gaming Fix. Uh, it is a very long episode, and we cover a lot of ground, but it was a fun one. Well, anyways, we're here to talk about coding today. So, over these first handful of episodes, we've been covering a lot of ground for what it means to get started with coding. Ways you can do it, languages you should learn, what it's like when you start doing it as a professional, uh, those kinds of topics. And today we are going to demystify a word which a lot of us have heard in our everyday lives, but maybe sometimes we just don't fully understand it. And that is the cloud. We hear it all the time uh, that your pictures or your save games or your backups or whatever, they all live in the cloud. So what is the cloud really? Is it just a buzzword? Is it some magical mystery realm where dreams come true? Is it somewhere in between? Well, it's kind of in between, but it's also kind of both, but it's also kind of neither. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that clears things right up. So hey, thank you for listening to episode four of Coding Fix. I'll roll the ending credit music here. Just kidding. Uh, to really explain the cloud, we're going to have to come back down to earth and talk about what led us there in the first place. So back in the day, if we had a website we'd built all on our own and we wanted to share it with the world, we needed to set up what we call a server. A server is basically just a computer whose whole entire purpose is purely to serve our code out to the world. You know, it's just making sure it's accessible for people. Then we would need to tie it to a domain name, which a domain name is something like www.whatever.net. And we would make sure that we own that name, and then we would point that name to our server by using its IP address. And an IP address is basically just a unique number that we use to identify our server. Think of it like the address to your home or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> those IP addresses, they, they're attached to anything on the net, a computer, a phone, just anything. Anyways, once our server has been hooked up to a domain name, that means that people could go to the web address, so www.whatever.net, and the server would give them our code. Nifty. That all runs on some computer wherever we happen to be. If you are like me, and you live in Western Canada, and let's say your server is located in your basement or something, then that means that your server is, well, it's based out of Western Canada. If someone lives in the Western United States, the site will probably load pretty quickly and efficiently for them. But for someone in South Africa, which is really far away from where I live, they might not have the best experience because the data has to travel basically all the way across the world. The time it takes for data to travel from our server to whoever is accessing our site is what we call latency. 
or ping. Typically, good latency is anywhere from about 5 to 100 milliseconds. If we're serving our data to the other side of the world, though, it's very possible that we will no longer be counting our latency in milliseconds, and probably more in actual full seconds. So rather than 5 milliseconds, maybe it'll take 10 actual seconds, which that isn't great. But anyways, that's the basic concept of what a traditional server is. It is a computer which serves up our code on some IP address so that we can point a domain name at it and then folks can access our code by using a browser or whatever, whatever they want. These days, we call these kinds of servers on-prem, which is short for on-premises. Uh, they are on our premises, we have full access to the hardware, we control everything about that box. But we also have the downside of it being located exactly where we are in the world, which means places far away get bad latency. Though there are ways around bad latency with on-prem servers, but I'll come back to that. But first, let's, let's wrap back around and talk about the other thing which kind of sucks about hosting your own server and having it on your own hardware. That's maintenance. So you are the one fully responsible for making sure that the server never goes down. And if it does, you are also the one responsible for making sure it comes back up fast and, you know, comes back up working exactly as it's supposed to. This can be profoundly stressful and a lot of the time totally outside of your control. Like, for example, if the power in your city goes down and it goes down for a week, well, there's not much you can do about that. Or if the internet service provider that's backing it has some kind of massive failure, well, then no one can access your site. You know, not to mention the fact that you'll also be paying for the internet there and all the electricity that the server uses and uh, all the upgrades to it if you ever need to add memory or add storage or anything like that. And hey, speaking of electricity, remember, this thing is probably going to be running 24-7. So there's a lot of factors that end up costing a lot of money with these things. So with all the context we now have for our on-prem servers, and especially with the disadvantages, let's shift our focus back to the cloud since all of those disadvantages pretty much get solved by it. Working with the cloud is basically the opposite of working with on-prem servers, where with on-prem servers, it's all hardware you own and operate and maintain. The cloud is all machines that someone else owns, operates and maintains. You're just using it. And Oftentimes, they will just have a whole host of features which would be pretty much untenable to incorporate into your own servers. Or at least it would be tough to reasonably include them. Things like redundancies, analytics, automatic scaling, and just along with the fact that they're handling all the hardware upgrades and security. So if you decide to get into a cloud server, what are some of your options? And well, honestly, there's a lot. <laughs> uh, of the big players, we've got Microsoft, Google, and Amazon being the biggest. Microsoft with their Azure service. Uh, Google has GCP, which is also called Google Cloud. And Amazon has AWS, with AWS being probably one of the most popular options for devs and businesses these days. Personally, I've worked with all three of them in my time as a dev, and they're all good for different reasons. If you wanted to choose just one to start with, honestly, they're all totally good and reasonable options. They all offer a free tier, which is basically giving you access to some low-powered machine without too much RAM or CPU clock, but 
it's at least a place for you to run your apps and be able to access them and you know try the service out. And also, outside of the big players, outside of Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, there are tons and tons and tons of smaller ones. Places like DigitalOcean or Linode, or other places that offer just really cool cloud options for small projects like Heroku or Netlify. Oftentimes, these smaller options are pretty great. It's more just that they don't have the pure, intense, huge infrastructure that the big ones do. The small ones are more meant for personal to small projects, maybe for startups. Whereas the big ones tend to have just a much broader range from personal projects all the way up to whole enterprise solutions for huge businesses. If you decide to use the cloud instead of uh, having an on-prem server, there's a whole lot of perks to doing that as well. Like, if you want a quick example, uh, pause this podcast and go to aws.amazon.com and hover your mouse over their products navbar item. There are just so many tools at your disposal, and it would just be so hard to implement any of those on your local server. Like, Cloud providers often get you access to things like CI/CD pipelines, data processing, machine learning processes, uh, serverless functions, IoT, and just much, much, much more. They're all pretty complicated topics to talk about, so instead, let's take a step back into something which is more directly in line with what we would expect to deal with in regards to hosting our own server with our own hardware. Firstly, storage. If you have your own machine, you'll have to fill that bad boy up with just a bunch of hard drives, which also gets us into a conversation about whether they should be in a RAID configuration, and if so, which RAID configuration, but let's, let's just ignore that for now. Let's just call that magic. So if, for some reason, your app gets just immensely popular and suddenly you have to store a ton more things, like videos or photos or whatever, you'll continually be adding storage, which gets expensive because you're continually adding hard drives. But cloud services give you what is essentially unlimited storage. By leveraging services like AWS's S3 or Azure's Blob Storage, uh, blob meaning binary large object, you can store as much stuff as you need without ever having to worry about anything. (laughs) You can also upload as much as you want for free. They only ever charge you for downloads, which, hey, for unlimited storage, that's pretty great. On top of that, There are options to have redundancies for all that data. Backups, basically, which is just super great because while cloud storage is pretty reliable, it's not infallible. Or if someone were to accidentally delete something, hey, now you have extra copies around. Speaking of the cloud being reliable, um, that's another advantage you get by using cloud over a local server. Remember how I'd mentioned that if your server lives in Western Canada, that people far away are going to have a tough time loading it, or it'll not be performing as great as you hope it does? Cloud providers tend to have servers all over the world in what they call data centers. So if you find that you were getting a lot of traffic from Oceania or Africa or North America or wherever, then you can make sure that you're allocating your resources to those regions and make sure that their users there are having the best experience they can. Uh, I also mentioned that there are some ways to get around this issue with on-prem servers, which is true. Uh, And you can actually do this with a cloud provider. A lot of cloud providers uh, provide a service known as a CDN, which stands for Content Delivery Network. CDNs basically take the most common static information from your site, static meaning 
the stuff which doesn't really change, so oftentimes bigger things like images or script files or whatever, and CDNs store them in a readily accessible way across multiple regions. It is essentially what we call a cache, and it is holding on to relevant information so it is just accessible really quickly, and it's caching this information in places far away from the server's origin, meaning if Remember, if our server is hosted in Western Canada and we have a CDN, that means maybe in Europe it will be cached there and it'll be easy to, uh, easy to access. CDNs are super, super useful, and honestly, pretty much every large site and app uses them these days. So, they're great. CDNs also lead us to the concepts of high availability, scalability, flexibility, and you know, generally having access to infrastructure that keeps our sites and apps as reliable as we can possibly have them. I would love to do a deep dive into all of those, but we can save that for another time because it might get slightly technical. Uh, I'll just pick one for now, and let's do like a medium to shallow dive on it. Let's talk about the concept of high availability. High availability goes hand-in-hand with something else which we call fault tolerance. Both of them basically meaning that if something goes wrong, our site should still work. Like, that's the top priority. And the two terms, high availability and fault tolerance, are basically just taking different approaches to the same thing. High availability essentially means that we're trying to avoid a single point of failure. So... Everything that makes up, for example, the back end of our site, things like databases and blobs, uh, binary large objects such as images, or, you know, the general back end logic, they're all decoupled from each other in a way so that if something fails along the way, then we can spin up another one and try and replace the bad ones and just have people still able to access our site. Now, I'm being very broad with all these definitions. I'm using terms like things, and, you know, they kind of just do this stuff. Uh, I'm using it really loosely because we're dangerously close to talking about the root of tools such as Kubernetes, and I'm not quite ready to start introducing terms like services and pods, config maps, and the like quite yet, but if you're interested and want to get ahead, definitely read up about Kubernetes. It's just a really great tool for high availability. Fault tolerance, though, is a similar kind of process to what we were just talking about with high availability. If something along the way fails, we need a way to have the system to just continue to operate. High availability does that with the things, the the, the kind of stuff I was broadly alluding to, uh, and that essentially boils down to putting each of our individual parts into their own container. And if an individual container fails... Our system will notice that and try to restart it and, you know, try to resuscitate that container, basically. Fault tolerance is essentially where we have a second version of everything running at the same time. That way, if something fails, we just seamlessly switch over to the backup one that's running in the background. Fault tolerance is generally more of something we see in on-prem servers, and especially in industries where human lives can be impacted. Uh, So it's just... You know, it's not acceptable to have any kind of downtime, stuff like the medical industry or just emergency services. It does tend to be a bit more expensive to run because now you're running two of everything and also pretty difficult to maintain. So high availability is generally the environment we anticipate developing in most of the time these days. Speaking of the costs of running on-prem servers, which we've kind of been alluding to this whole time, 
let's let's just kind of focus on that again really quick. Again, if you are running your own server, then you are just absorbing all of the costs related to it. The physical hardware, the electricity, the services it requires, such as internet and just so forth. Also, if it needs to scale up, you will need to handle both the responsibility for getting physical components and installing them required for that upgrade. So again, additional RAM, hard drives, whatever, uh, as well as manually making the changes to configuration that it needs, scripts and you know whatever else will be relevant for those changes. While that isn't often seen as kind of a direct cost, like purchasing equipment, don't undervalue your time. If you are spending 30 hours a week messing with the hardware and updating configuration, stuff like that, that's a huge time cost. So if that sounds unappealing to you, then cloud is definitely an option you should be considering. However, while I've been beating the cloud drum pretty loudly here, it does have some disadvantages. Um, and some of them might actually be super significant to you, depending on the nature of the work you're doing. For example, security. Yes, a lot of cloud infrastructure is fairly secure, but is not 100% foolproof. There are many instances of malicious parties finding their ways into seemingly secure databases and systems like that, and that's something you definitely need to be conscious of. If you are working with medical, financial, or identification data, that's something you're probably going to want to keep under lock and key. There are ways to get cloud to play nice with this and be really secure, such as uh, hiding sensitive information behind a VPN or using intense encryption and a couple other ways that I'll get into. But if information security is something that you need to be cognizant of, then definitely give that careful consideration before just jumping into any solutions. Another downfall with cloud is that if you ever decide to stop using cloud, like for example, if you have stored just terabytes upon terabytes of information within S3 and you decide that you want to stop using it and get all that data off of there, that can be a bit of a headache. They are going to charge you a fee, which is called an egress fee. Uh, egress being the opposite of ingress. Uh, just to define that, if we're doing an ingress, we are taking information in. We're putting our files into S3. If we're doing an egress, we're taking the information out. So doing an egress with terabytes worth of data, yeah, they're going to charge you for that. And sometimes they kind of charge you a lot, which isn't so great. So in some ways, it means you can kind of get locked into an ecosystem and they make it a little bit hard to change. And this also applies if you, for example, start on AWS and want to migrate everything over to Azure. So you do get locked in there. And then if you decide to move away from it or stop using it, then the fees that show up are going to be pretty intense sometimes, which frankly, it sucks. And uh, one last downside, weirdly enough, is connectivity. So by that, I mean that if you ever lose connectivity, like if you were working in an office and the internet happens to go down, you might not be able to do any work that day. Like if you were to have an on-prem server instead, even if the internet outside your office went down, then you could still at least work with the server directly and work on your app and stuff like that. But if your connection is ever severed from the cloud for whatever reason, then you can't directly affect your stuff until you get it reconnected. And 
that can be a bit of a headache, and it does happen from time to time. These disadvantages can be a tough pill to swallow for some companies, and at the same time, it can also be tough to want to fully dedicate themselves to being fully on-premises with their servers. So if you find yourself weighing the options in kind of a similar way, there's one last option available to you, which might work, and that is what we call hybrid cloud. That is essentially picking and choosing which parts of a cloud provider you want to use, and then combining it with the best parts of a local server that you'd also like to use. Maybe you would like to take advantage of all that unlimited storage on S3 and put all your blobs there. And eh, while we're there, also let's use a CDN. But you also want to have all of your databases locally so that you have full control over the security. And that can be important to a lot of people, putting it on encrypted hard drives, uh, putting it behind a billion firewalls, things like that. And you can totally do that. And a fair number of places do exactly that. Uh, again, this is generally something which is more focused on companies who have very specific needs, medical sector, uh, emergency services, stuff like that. But uh, you know, th these are places that care about info security and data privacy. But if you really want it, it's a feasible option for anyone to do, I guess. But for most of us, hosting everything we need on cloud is pretty much the norm these days. Some of us prefer using the smaller hosts, the smaller companies. My personal website is hosted on Netlify, for example. Uh, Shoutouts to them. And a lot of the places that we work at opt to use bigger companies like Amazon, uh, Microsoft, and Google because they've been doing it for a long time. They're reliable, and they generally have a proven track record. But no matter how you choose to use it, hopefully this has kind of helped clear up a bit of the nebulous, mysterious nature of what the cloud means. <laughs> uh, again, in a lot of cases, it can just be a buzzword because people hear the cloud and assume it's basically just magic and it just makes computer programs work by some voodoo. But in reality, it's just giving us the ability to use hardware, which we don't have to maintain, in order to get our app out and into the world. They do give us access to a lot of those perks that I mentioned earlier, CICD, IoT, machine learning stuff, blah, so on. But at its core, it's just a bunch of computers connected together with that we can make use of. No real magic, just a lot of awesome and well-thought-out infrastructure available to us at any given time. So, with that, that brings us to the end of this episode. And hey, this one was a bit shorter compared to the last few, but I hope the information has been helpful. If you have any kind of feedback or questions, comments, concerns, or amazing pie recipes, I would love that. But um, please feel free to send me a message over at coding at fix.space, fyx.space, or reach out over Twitter at fixpodcasts. Also, hey, feel free to send a message if there are any topics that you really, really, really want to hear about. I love getting suggestions and just would love to expand on anything that people have interest in. So thanks again for listening. It is super appreciated, and I hope you have a great day.